Welcome to episode number 14 of the Beyond 24 Days podcast. Today we talk about preparing your garden, a little bit about supplements, Ken's pick, and what's cooking with Brooke in the kitchen, that and more, so stay tuned. Welcome to the Beyond 24 Days podcast with your hosts, Brooke and Ken. Beyond 24 Days is focused on healthier living by promoting whole and natural foods while supporting your local, responsible producers. You can follow us on social media at Beyond 24 Days, where we share our food ideas and recipes. And now your hosts, Brooke and Ken. Welcome back, everybody, to episode number 14 of the Beyond 24 Days podcast. Hi, everybody. I know this is a little delayed, but we want to wish everyone a happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Hopefully you guys didn't go too crazy on Valentine's Day on the treats. I know that we had made a last-minute decision to go out, and we decided to go to a local diner and celebrate Valentine's Day breakfast-style. So most of us got pancakes. But it was the best Valentine's Day gift I think I ever got. You allowed me to order a big cheesy omelet. Yes, and we also ended up having dessert. And that's I guess one of the things is it's okay to every once in a while indulge, but it's always important to remind yourself to reel it in and bring it back. And there's that key word again, in moderation. Uh, Moderation, that evil word. (laughs) So I know before we jump into talking about setting up our garden and all kinds of other stuff, if you are keen to the Instagram game, uh, I recently created an account for all of my running. So if you're a runner like me and you're interested in sort of following along and looking for inspiration, motivation, whatever it might be, check out Ken Stands on Things. Uh, you will find my Instagram account where I share all of my running stuff. And I, I seem to have a, a pretty decent amount of followers for a new account. It's pretty uh, pretty funny. You know, he posts pictures of his feet standing on things and it sometimes gets more likes than our meals. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, I try to reel that back in. But <laughs> anyway, like I said, come fuel my addiction. That's Ken Stands on Things at Instagram. And before I go off on a running tangent, I also wanted to ask you if you are meditating. I know that we mentioned it on the last podcast, and I posted a coupon code for a free three months of Headspace. If you haven't taken advantage of that, I strongly recommend you do so. I am on day 26 of my sort of meditation journey, and I can tell you it has proven to be amazing. I absolutely find that those 10 minutes a day are essential to sort of keeping my head straight and keeping things together. Through my work, we participate in monthly webinars, and I also do public speaking Um, as well. And I found that just taking a few minutes to meditate helps clear my head and I go into the talk or the webinar completely focused and completely on point. But anyway, like I said, I highly recommend you check out Headspace and I'll post that coupon code again on the blog. I highly suggest you give it a whirl. So as we are approaching the growing season, I know that my dad is already preparing to sow seeds inside for his massive tomato plant collection. The master of tomato plants. Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they wrote a Metallica song about my dad. 
Master of tomatoes planting his seeds. <laughs> I can assure you that if we have a blooper reel, that is definitely going on that. Or we'll just leave it in the podcast. Who knows? Anyway, we recently did go through and we purchased uh, all of the seeds, that the plants that we'll be planning on growing this year. So we have, uh, like I mentioned, we do have tomato plants. We will be planting... Some lettuce. I'm not going to go overboard. I think we agreed on spinach this year. We're going to do some spinach. Um, What else we get? Peas and green beans are a must. Cauliflower. Cauliflower. We're going to try cauliflower this year. In the past, we've done broccoli. Mm -hmm. And we've also done cabbage. And I think think we're going to try to take it easy on those. We're going to do our staples. We love our zucchini and our yellow squash in the summer. And we always have peppers of some kind, like a bell, egg, a bell pepper. Right. We usually do eggplant, egg too. Eggplants. I'm not sure if we're going to go for the corn or not this year. Yeah, I think we, uh, we, I know I talked about doing like maybe a row or two the whole length of the garden. It just took up so much real estate in our garden last year. And corn is kind of funny in the fact that it takes quite a while for it to actually start to grow. And then when it did grow, it kind of takes off. And then we weren't really sure when to actually harvest the corn. So some of the ears in the very beginning, the kernels were really small. And then some we let them go too long. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we try to do, especially with our garden, is we try to rotate where we plant the crops every year. Just so that way every year the peppers aren't in the same spot. And this helps with... Uh, if you have grubs or beetles or, or insects, this helps sort of control and, and curb where they are in the garden. Um, one year we did potatoes and we didn't have any issues with potato beetles. Then the following year, it was like every beetle in the state of Pennsylvania <laughs> knew where we were growing potatoes and attacked everything. So our garden, we try to keep it minimal pesticides, pesticide-free if we can. We like to try to stay organic. And as we get closer towards the growing season, when we actually do till up the ground, I will be happy to share that on our blog. I'll share some pictures of the ground being tilled up and then also of us planting everything so you can sort of get an idea of how we have our garden. But we started very basic. Mm -hmm. Um, We started with four planter beds, four by eight, which if you go to your big box hardware store, even a local hardware store, you can purchase um, untreated pine is what I think I used for the planter boxes. And then uh, I had topsoil delivered only because I wasn't sure how fertile our ground was. So I had soil brought in and we filled the boxes and that's what we used for two years. Mm-hmm. And they served us pretty well. It, it served really well for certain vegetables except root vegetables. Right. Our potatoes did okay because you had to mound them. So right, we had right. more dirt over the potatoes. But I think like our onions and our carrots, our root vegetables just were so puny and pathetic the yeah. years that we used the boxes. Yeah, they didn't do as well. In fact, when we um, moved to an actual legit garden, that's when all the root vegetables really um, were really shined. We really saw bigger yields when we had an actual garden, not planter beds. We had longer, bigger carrots. Um, 
We actually didn't pl- – did we plant the onions this year or did we just have residual onions that came up from We just had residual zom- zombie onions that would not go away. <laughs> so we had some random onions popping up this past summer, but we did a great crop of radishes yeah. this year. So I, I guess our advice is uh, start small. Don't go too crazy and try to keep it minimal. A friend of mine had four by eight gardens, just like uh, how we did it. And unfortunately, he managed to somehow plant every plant known to mankind in each planter bed. Some plants were overpowering other plants, and his lettuce grew like three feet tall. And it was the weirdest thing in the world. The lettuce actually had stems that were around two feet in length. And the lettuce heads were like three feet off the ground because they were fighting for real estate. So when you plant a garden, look on the back of the seed packet. Mm -hmm. It'll tell you how much room you should give the plants. Definitely heed that advice and definitely follow those directions because you want to give your plants a fighting chance. Especially if you're growing things like zucchini, your plants are going to get enormous. So if Mm -hmm. you plant too many too close to each other, you're going to have a jungle growing in your garden and also look into planting vertical gardens for vine plants like cucumbers and squash and zucchini plants that spread out if you have a trellis or something that they can grow up that's usually pretty helpful as well we do that with our uh, string beans we usually have a couple of rows of like twine and Mm -hmm. we inter interweave the plant through the twine and that helps them We did that with our cucumbers the one year because your cucumbers, like Ken said, are vines and they start to wrap around your other plants if you let them go. They get out of control. I I remember I would go out on a daily basis before we thought to string the vines up. I would go out and have to unravel cucumber vines from like pepper plants or corn. Yeah, some of our other plants kind of suffered because the cucumbers overtook them. We had a lot of pickles that year, but (laughs) unfortunately it it wreaked havoc on some of the closer plants nearby. Some plants you can't plant next to each other because they interact with one another. And mostly is is because of the whole cucumber and pepper story. The cucumber kind of overgrows and overtakes the plants nearby and it just causes havoc. And again, on that note, you can go to Pinterest another great resource and type in what plants to grow next to other plants and you will get a whole list of charts of things that grow well with each other and things that do not grow well with each other. So you can find anything on Pinterest. One of the things that we found was growing marigolds next to our tomato plants helped with potato beetles and other insects because the marigolds I guess they act as a a natural insecticide. So we looked for some alternative organic methods for pesticides. If you're looking for organic growing ideas, Pinterest is a great resource because it'll give you all kinds of different plants that act as natural insect repellents. And one tip that I'd like to share is one of my favorite, it always seems one of my favorite foods is something that usually comes with a higher price. One of my favorite things to get at market is patty pan squash. Oh, here we go with the patty pans. <laughs> and they, they fetch for almost $7 for just a pint. 
of patty pan squash. If you don't know what they are, because they are a fairly uncommon thing, it's sort of like a novelty, a specialty thing. It is a squash similar to a zucchini or a summer squash, but they're like round, they're disc shaped. And they almost look decorative. Yeah. Not something that you would think about eating, but they do taste good. They they just have the same taste as a squash or a zucchini. They come in yellow and green. They took up a lot of room. Mm-hmm. A lot of room, and my yield wasn't as amazing as the package said it was going to be. But I'm not going to give up. We may put one or two more plants out there in the garden and try it again. Because those were in the planter boxes. Yeah, I think we we may have gotten maybe seven or eight. We didn't really get that many. We would have been better off buying. Buying our patty pans versus growing them. But we'll try again. But on that note. I'll appease you. We'll try to grow them again. I know we've discussed this one item of produce in a previous podcast. Ken's not too keen on it, but did allow me. I was really excited to buy some seeds from the seed store recently. I'm going to try my hand at okra this year and see how that goes uh just like the patty pans i'll i'll allow it i'll I'll allow a few we're not going to go crazy Mm. i think that's one thing too is we definitely need to cut back on the amount of plants that we grow uh when we plant 12 tomato (laughs) plants it sounds like a great idea and it looks wonderful to see all your little tomato babies growing but when those when those guys get big, holy crap, look out. You'll have tomatoes coming out the wazoo. In fact, we end up putting tomato plants all over the place. And the only reason why we end up not eating tomatoes the one year was because they got ruined. Our neighbor painted his shed and uh, paint, sprayed them silver. <laughs> paint, paint got all over our tomato plants. Now, I think he did us a favor because there was no way we were going to eat all those tomatoes. It was impossible. Well, so many. We, we got crafty this past year, and we pulled out our canner, and we did salsas and yes. spaghetti sauces, and I and made on, a lot of stewed tomatoes. And on that note, too, we also have friends that have gardens, and we usually do Swaps. like a, a veggie swap. So some of the plants that we don't grow that they grow, we try to do a swap. We'll offer them, you know, four pounds of tomatoes for a couple of cantaloupes or, um, you know, green beans or whatever it is. The other thing, too, is if you can't grow your own garden, uh, you should Pinterest um, growing a garden in the city because there are all kinds of different options to have small gardens. Just because your garden is little doesn't mean that it's not any beneficial to you. You can still grow a select number of plants. Tomato plants, actually, you can grow them in pots. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad, like we mentioned, is the king of tomato plants, and he has planter pots that are about one cubic foot, and he grows tomato plants out of them and has them all over the place. There's literally tomatoes all over. They have that, it's a, a tomato garden in their yeah. backyard. He's also the king of the topsy-turvy. Those as-seen-on-TV topsy-turvy planters they may look work. silly, but he they grows work. some of the best tomatoes out of those things. Yeah, some people love to grow flowers and beautiful orchids. My dad loves growing tomato plants. Well, and I feel like that too. I remember we used to live in a townhouse where we had no space for gardens or flowers. It was all the rental company did all that. And I remember saying to you, I can't wait to move into a house and I can plant flowers and I can do this and I can do that. And we finally bought our house and the woman who lived here had 
hundreds of flowers planted at this house. And it occurred to me at that time, I don't like flowers. I am not a flower person. And we've done a lot of ripping out of things. But by golly, I sure do love my vegetable gardening. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because Ken used the phrase plant babies and tomato babies. I am. That is me. I get so excited when our plants bud and I'm out there talking to my plants, my plant babies. They're very healthy. <laughs> Someone send help. I think Brooke's losing it. It's but, an exciting thing. And yeah. once you have one successful garden, you're going to want to keep doing it over and over again. Another thing is if you can't grow a garden, you physically just don't have room or you're not interested in growing a garden, I would strongly suggest looking into a co-op with a local farmer. You can join a co-op program and it's, you know, whatever it's, I don't know if it's monthly or if it's a yearly fee, but basically it ensures uh, that they deliver fresh produce to you on a weekly basis or monthly basis or, or however it may work. So Definitely check out Crop Shares. We have a few co-ops around here. It's pretty interesting. They do a lot of different uh, seasonal co-ops. So during different parts of the season, they guarantee delivery of certain vegetables to your door. It's one of those things that you don't really think of versus going to the grocery store all the time. Maybe you can do a co-op, save yourself some money, and have fresh organic produce brought right to your door. And, and another option I think that we should bring up is most rental properties or townships offer community gardens, spaces that you can rent out. The the rental property that was next to our rental property when we first moved to this area, they had a small community garden where each resident was given a small plot of land. It was all staked off. And I know one of the townships in this area also has a community garden and it's so nice to drive by and see people just out in the middle of a township field tending to their garden. Yeah. So give it a shot. If you have any gardening questions, you can send them our way on the blog. I don't know if I'll be able to answer them, but my dad, who is the (laughs) master gardener, certainly will probably have the answers. And um, also if you have a garden or have experience with a garden in the past, Feel free to share that with us as well. We'd love to see it. So let's move on to questions that were brought up about supplements. So quite often, I know I'd mentioned before that when I go for runs, I really am not big into supplements because I like to see what I'm capable of accomplishing on my own without any sort of quote unquote enhancements. But there are some supplements that we take on a daily basis or that I take on a daily basis that I think are pretty essential for what I do. Since I'm usually in and out of training for races and constantly racing, um, I have done a lot of looking at what sort of supplements I should take. And that's the key word is supplement. This is all supplemental to your diet. So if you have a poor diet and you're taking supplements, you're not really helping yourself. So one of the things that I recommend, especially if you're an endurance athlete or even strength training, burn the fat and feed the muscle. You know, if you're trying to tone up, essentially what you're trying to do is is build muscle to help tone up your body. And one of the things that we have found is branch chain amino acids. And branch chain amino acids are essential amino acids 
and they help with the formation of muscles, the amino acids that our bodies cannot produce that we need to find and source from our foods. And not everything that we eat have these essential acids. So we take an amino acid supplement, and this helps us with building muscle. It helps sort of tone up certain areas. Um, For me, I'm more of what you would consider an endurance athlete. So I have found that after extremely long runs, the amino acids help me repair muscle, whatever it may be. Um, Combined with glutamine, um, that helps repair muscles. Yeah, before we started to take any combination of branch chains, I would go to the gym and do the same workout beforehand that I still do now. And I would be wrecked for like two or three days afterwards. Well, since we've been taking these, I've noticed I can go to the gym and sometimes even go longer than I used to. And I'm completely fine the next day. We also uh, have a foam roller that we'll um, use to roll out different muscle groups. That helps sort of break up lactic acid, helps prevent sort of any soreness. But like I said, the branch chains with glutamine help uh, repair muscles, help build muscles. And, And like Brooke said, I've noticed that after really long runs, if I take these, um, they assist in in preventing sort of soreness and preventing me from not being able to walk the next day. Another supplement that I've tried before is arginine. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, this sort of helps with endurance. I know that if I take this before a long run, I have found that it helps uh, increase my stamina. Typically, you'll see this combined with like a, a nitric or a nitric oxide booster. Like I said, I don't really dabble too much in supplements, and I know that this really isn't the be-all, end-all for this, but uh, we've been asked before what we take and what we recommend for sort of working out. I know that we mentioned we don't really do any sort of pre-workouts. Pre-workouts are good if you're looking to um, do more strength training. You're looking for that explosive power on the endurance side of it. The pre-workouts for me just sort of gave me a stomach ache and didn't really, I didn't really see much improvement overall. And I sort of take the branch chain amino acids, the glutamine and the arginine, I sort of use those as um, post-workout to help with recovery, to help boost overall recovery. And I'm sure that we're not even scratching the surface on, you know, what sort of supplements you should take. Um, But this is just sort of what we have found to be beneficial to us. Um, As far as other supplements, one of the things that I've found is that you really can't, there is no magical combination of pills that is going to instantly dissolve the fat on your body. That's just nothing like that exists on the market. It takes discipline with a proper diet. It takes discipline with an exercise regimen and also being open to the fact that you're going to have to change your lifestyle in order to have any sort of physical impact on your appearance. Right. Aside from branch chain amino acids and the glutamine, I I personally don't take the arginine. I don't I don't run as much as Ken does, and I don't quite feel that my 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 gym sessions are as intense that I, I need such a post-recovery. 
But one supplement that I do take, I take it daily, and I took it for reasons that had nothing to do with health or it was more of a vanity thing. Um, I started taking primrose oil. And that is something that I still take every single day. It's really one of the... I was actually really resistant to taking it at first because Ken will tell you, I am weird about taking things. Mm -hmm. Like even when I'm sick, I refuse to take medicine. I used to be very prone to strep throat and things Mm -hmm. like that. I, I haven't been sick in almost two years that I've actually had to call off work. Right. Back to my primrose oil. I started taking it because I had heard it would help with um, some hormonal acne. And it sort of turned into a lifesaver for me, in my opinion. Not only has it, it it helped curb the acne, and it's helped strengthen my hair and my nails, but I've also found that it has helped with a lot of the anxiety that I have. And to quote myself, I remember taking it that first time and telling Ken, I went from feeling like back in black, ACDC was always playing in my head to comfortably numb by Pink Floyd after I took it. It does help. And you can tell when I don't have it, if I forget to take it, you can tell I'm agitated and I'm very anxious. No comment. I'm not, <laughs> it's not good. I'm going to go there. But so, I mean, so th- this is, people have asked us, what do you take? You know, and, and like I said, sometimes people don't necessarily believe us when we say that a majority of what we focus on is nutrition. And like I said, supplements, they're just that they're supplemental. Um, We do take a daily multivitamin, um, but nothing that's really sort of out in the ordinary with that. You know, the sports supplement helps with recovery after really long endurance run for me. Uh, I'm willing to, to give it a shot and try it out. So again, it's just supplemental. So I think Right now would probably be a good time for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll do Ken's running tip and also what's cooking with Brooks. So stay tuned for more. Welcome back, everybody. Like we discussed last week, we're not going to do a Ken's pick for the week. He's going to do a Ken's pick for the month since he, you know, he can't keep up with all that reading fast enough to inform the public of Goodreads. Excuse me. <laughs> so instead, today we're going to do Ken's running tip. Take it away, Ken. <sighs> Compression socks. Do they work or don't they work? You tell me. Me? Yeah, they work. Yeah. So I think I mentioned it before, but on some of my longer runs, I use compression sleeves. And I've often been asked, what do compression sleeves even do and why should I wear them? So without getting crazy into the science of compression sleeves, essentially what they do is they help with the blood flow to your limbs. So if you are doing a lot of running, it helps increase the blood flow to your muscles. And it also aids after those long runs, I use my compression sleeves Uh, as sort of a recovery tool. It helps in the recovery. And they've done different studies, and they say that the results are sort of anecdotal, but there is no denying the uh, effects of the recovery that the compression sleeves give you. So if you are looking to start running or you have been running and maybe you have issues with shin splints or leg pains, 
I highly suggest not only should you do some stretching before and after your runs, but also look into getting compression sleeves. And then even taking that a step further, I'd mentioned foam rollers. We have foam roller that we use to help rub out uh, those muscles that are sore after working out. And that helps sort of break up that lactic acid and helps improve your recovery time. So compression sleeve and a foam roller. I highly suggest those for all of your running needs. One of the things, though, that I did want to talk about today was when to know when to sort of stop. (laughs) I start to train for a race. I tend to go overboard and sort of overtrain. So there are a few signs that you should definitely take note of because once you start to overtrain your body, that's when you enter into the dangerous zone of becoming overtrained and overworked, and that's where a lot of injury can occur. So in no particular order, these are some of the things you should look it out for. One of the things that they say that you should do is check your body weight. If you experience a 2% in body weight from one day to the next, that could show signs of a pretty significant amount of body fluid fluctuation. And this means that you're probably not hydrated. And when you're dehydrated, this has a negative impact on physical and mental performance. And if you continue to work out and overexert yourself in a dehydrated state, this can lead to only poorer performance and can also have some very adverse health effects. So the short and sweet of that is just keep tabs on your body weight. The second thing that you should look out for is go with the flow. You're going with your body. And if for some reason you just have a hard time getting up or getting out of bed, chances are you you might be overtrained. So something really good to do here is developing a pattern of consistent good sleeping. With my Garmin Forerunner and even some of the fitness trackers like Fitbit, you can monitor your sleep. So set a sleep goal for yourself and see that you actually achieve this sleep goal every night. Mine's set for eight hours. And for the most part, I average about eight hours of sleep, which to some people sounds like a luxury, but when you're training, not having enough sleep is a detriment. So it's always good to have plenty of sleep. I mentioned hydration earlier, but something commonly overlooked and something that you really should pay attention to is urine color. I know it sounds wonderful to be talking about urine color on a podcast, but it's just one of those things to help see if your body is showing you signs that you are dehydrated. And one of the best things to do is to stay hydrated. I know I drink plenty of water throughout the day and I don't just rely on thirst alone. Another thing I mentioned going with the flow of your body, looking at your own energy levels. If you wake up and something is not right, your energy levels are low, you just can't seem to find any sort of relief or any sort of energy to continue on through the day. Trying to power through that and trying to muscle through fatigue is never a good thing. You always want to give yourself plenty of rest. So we're up to number four or five. Well, anyway, along those same lines of dehydration and fatigue. When you're dehydrated, you're overtrained, you're feeling fatigued. One of the other things that affect it is, is your mind, and you might become extremely moody. So another way of knowing if your body is overtrained is if you are an extremely cranky person or you notice really uh, vast mood swings that just aren't aren't part of your persona. So if you just aren't yourself, that could be another sign of overtraining. The end is near though. There's only a couple more things that you really want to pay attention to. And if you're sick 
not feeling well or you're experiencing some severe pain, this could also be signs that you're overtraining and you're overworking and overexerting your body. And some of the last things on the list of overtraining is if you noticed that the quality of your workouts are starting to decrease, your performance is starting to suffer. This is also a sign that you're sort of overtraining and that you need to sort of slow things down. So again, I know these aren't, you know, the be all end all of of training tips, but these are just some of the things to look out for when you are running. I know that I tend to over push myself sometimes and it's always good to sort of stop and reflect. Point being, just read your body. Read what your body is trying to tell you. So without further ado, Brooke, tell us, what's cooking in the kitchen? What are our favorite meals from this past week? And then share with us our meals for next week. Sure. Well, we had some good ones that I'm excited to talk about. Finally got around to making our... Chinese fake out as you advertised it on our social media. Yeah, man. We had Mugu Gai Pan, which is essentially just a Chinese meal of um, chicken slices, fresh vegetables. You'll usually find it with snow peas, carrots, water chestnuts, and uh, bamboo shoots and mushrooms. There's always mushrooms in Mugu Gai Pan. And that was made with a light sauce, and I served it with brown rice in a bowl. It was just a delicious big old bowl meal. It was probably just as good as when you get it at a takeout restaurant. I enjoyed it. It was very delicious. And also, I think I even mentioned on the blog, when you're like us and you have a Chinese restaurant nearby, that can sometimes prove to be a detriment. Well, and once you learn to master like the basic sauces that they use in Chinese takeout food, you can pretty much make anything at home. And I think the more we make it, the better it's starting to get. And we really don't order that much Chinese takeout anymore. No. And the last couple times we've gone, I've sort of been underwhelmed by the food that we've had. It's just, I don't know. It's not up to the beyond 24 days (laughs) caliber. That's for sure. The next meal that we have up on the blog, I sort of strayed from the original recipe, um, but the the general idea was still the same. We did an unstuffed pepper. If you go to the blog and you find the link to the recipe and you see their picture, you'll notice that it's dramatically different from our picture. Theirs was a layer of rice, a layer of beef, with the peppers mixed into the beef. And I kind of shook things up and did it the opposite way. Because to me, when you make a stuffed pepper, the rice is usually cooked inside of the pepper with the beef, with the sauce. And I kind of want it to keep it like that. So I took rainbow colored peppers. We did red, orange, and yellow. I diced them into larger chunks And I rubbed them with some olive oil and some seasonings, and I pan-roasted them in the oven. Took those out, threw those on a bowl, and I had my layer of ground beef, brown rice, and homemade spaghetti sauce mixed all together. 
And we sort of plop that on top of our peppers because I wanted it to be as if like the pepper just kind of exploded. It worked. Convinced me. No, it, it, again, another meal that has that multiple layer of flavors. We went for a sweet breakfast meal this week. We wanted to conquer another bowl. We mainly are protein shake drinkers for breakfast. So we try different breakfast recipes as dinner so that we can get that out there for you guys. So this week we had a apple pie quinoa breakfast bowl. And again, I strayed a bit from the recipe. The recipe calls for quinoa breakfast flakes. And I opted to just use a plain grain of quinoa and I think it turned out just as great. Yeah, no no complaints there. We've had hot cereal, the hot cereal mixes before, similar to that. And it's it's almost identical. This bowl was full of bananas, diced apples, walnuts, and honey, and then and lots of cinnamon. Lots of cinnamon. And then that gets topped with banana rounds and sliced apples. It was delicious. It was filling. I actually could not finish my bowl. I ended up throwing some of it away because it was just way too much. Well, and like Brooke had mentioned, we are typically a protein shake breakfast couple because they're quick, they're easy to make, and we can sort of consume them on the go as we're getting ready for our mornings. Our hectic, hectic mornings. So if you have time in the morning to make this breakfast, it is really good. But like Brooke said, it's really filling. I know that Uh, halfway through, I was like, well, it's a lot of food. And I completely housed mine because uh, I had planned on running that day. So, Um, but yeah, super filling, just an awesome all around breakfast. Highly recommend it. You should try it out. I'd like to say that I was finally successful in finally getting that black bean meatloaf made. Yeah, my God. And it was delicious. And I think the reason that I put it off for so long was because it got pushed to the back burner when I would look at my list of foods to make. And I'd be like, I don't have time to make that. I don't have time to make that. That's way too complicated. We, we, we need something a little quicker. And I was quite surprised when we finally got around to making this recipe that it wasn't as time-consuming as I thought it was going to be. Ken did help make it, but had I been forced to make it by myself during the middle of the week, it wouldn't have been that bad. I think it's just the magnitude of ingredients that go into it because it is a hearty meatloaf, so it does require a lot of ingredients to go into it to sort of fill it up. And while there is no meat in it, it was a vegan meatloaf. And it was also gluten-free, I do Mm -hmm. believe. Yes. It was very meatloaf-like. It baked just like a meatloaf. It sliced just like a meatloaf. And... The kids were none the wiser. It it, it had a good texture to it. One of the ingredients, and I have a, a little tip to add in here during my... What's cooking with Brooke? Oh. I got a, I got a, I have a tip for you. Tips, tips and tricks. One of the ingredients for the meatloaf was oat flour. Don't go out and buy an expensive bag of oat flour. If you have a Nutribullet, which has been one of our best friends during this whole journey, or maybe a, a Vitamix or something along those lines, just take rolled oats and pulse them until they're powder. And there you go. There's your oat flour. I've seen it on shelves. It's kind of ridiculous how much they charge for oat flour. See that? We're saving people money. Just make it yourselves. There you go. So I just round it 
Now, the, the meatloaf was gluten-free, but the side that you see on our Instagram was not gluten-free. But I did round that with some seasoned noodles, mixed a little bit of ghee in, and Mrs. Dash. And the top of the meatloaf was also something to talk about. It was delicious. It was a guac that was made of uh, salsa verde, cilantro, and the avocados. And that just got spread on top of the meatloaf. It gave it a little extra flavor and it was delicious. I liked it. In fact, it made it for leftovers to work two days in a row because it was so good. Mm -hmm. Another really exciting veggie meal. I know last week on our podcast, I was really excited to talk about the cauliflower sandwich. And again, I find myself singing the praises of another all veggie meal again today. I saw this kooky idea for carrot dogs, and it was sort of something that I was really skeptical about. And again, it It, worked out amazingly. It took our house by storm because of how wonderful these carrots turned out. I didn't understand how it was going to get soft enough to eat in the hot dog form, but everything worked out in the end. You take a whole carrot, you boil the carrot until it's slightly tender, not mushy, take it out, marinate it for a few hours, and then you can either grill them or stick it under the broiler like I did because it's obviously not grilling season. Whole grain roll, Sir Kensington's ketchup, lettuce, And then the recipe also had you make a pickled chickpea slaw with Napa cabbage and chickpeas and pickles and veganaise. Put that on top of the carrot dog. It was amazing. It had the same texture as a hot dog. In fact, when I took mine for work for leftovers and heated it up, um, it it almost has the same texture and look as as like a regular hot dog. Mm -hmm. And people even said... Nothing to me because they didn't even realize that it was completely vegan. So it was just an awesome lunch. It was awesome. It was awesome because it's it looks and has the same textural and the feel of a hot dog, completely disguised. It was a good one for the kids because um, it was like a novelty. It was cool for them to try out, but at the same time, you know, it was it was really just roasting carrot. <laughs> And since we are running a bit behind on the podcast, we did make it to Soup Tuesday. We have to get that one up on the blog yet. Oh, yes. We had a Mexican meatball stew. It was delicious. It was a veggie-packed stew. There was Napa cabbage, which I'm starting to slowly love. It's starting to become a favorite of mine. Tomatoes, butternut squash, carrots, onions, all packed inside one pot with a homemade meatball with tons of spices. And when you bit into the meatball, you could really taste a lot of the spices that were in there. Cilantro, coriander, uh, cumin. And yeah, I think that was... What was that called? Mexican meatball stew. Well, for those of you listening right now, if you check Instagram, this is going up right now. And in the same fashion, I'm going to go ahead and just tell you that once we get the recipe up on the blog, I did slightly alter this recipe. The recipe calls for a meatball made of half beef and half pork. And for our own personal reasons, we no longer eat pork products. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um. 
So I just subbed the half of pork out with all beef, a very lean cut of grass-fed beef, and the meatballs turned out just as delicious, and I think the stew was a little less uh, fat-soaked. Yeah, no, it it definitely wasn't super heavy because we opt to use a grass-fed beef, which is a lot leaner of a cut. It's not as fatty as the commercial beefs, and therefore it just translates into a more smoother soup. You can really sort of taste all the vegetables. It's not drowned out by the, the flavor of the beef. And those were our meals that are up on the blog. So... The meals that we have coming up this week, I'm going to be doing a Chinese five-spice turkey with rice and broccoli. I'm really in the mood for some savory breakfast. We've been doing a lot of sweet breakfast. I'm going to go for a savory breakfast. I'm going to do some breakfast burritos, probably a corn and black bean burrito, fruit salad. Mm. We have a Hawaiian barbecued tofu bowl coming up this week and that actually gets served with couscous instead of rice Ah. we are going to have chicken with avocado and scallion sauce over zoodles which for those of you out there who are not familiar with zoodles are zucchini noodles we also have a gadget in our kitchen which i love called the vegetti it has been our friend just like the nutribullet and we will be doing an Indian-inspired dish this week, and I hope I am saying this right. It's called kichadi, and that will also be served with rice. Oh, interesting. And that's all the meals ahead that is. everyone has to look forward to. Well, it sounds like we have an amazing week of food ahead of us. Maybe go into the Indian restaurant. I don't know. Eh? Eh? I'm making it at home. Why oh. do we need to go there? Well, so we did a Chinese fake out. So maybe we'll do, well, can we call it Indian fake out? Because we don't really do takeout from the Indian restaurant. We'll do, we'll, well, if you look on our Pinterest board, we have a Pinterest board that is entitled Taste of India. So maybe we'll do our own little Taste of India here. Anyway, that sort of wraps up the podcast. We want to thank everybody for joining us, and we look forward to you all joining us next week. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.